0: Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast dedicated to all things Washington Nationals and baseball from a fan's perspective. I'm your host, Richard. And for this episode, I'm talking to Carrick Jackson, the president of MLB's Draft League. So let's go in the clubhouse. Thank you so much for taking the time to and talk to talk to me today. Um, Happy holidays, first of all. Same to you. Cool. Let's dive right into it. Um, So I just kind of want to know, like, how did the idea for the draft league start? Um, And you know, what what do you think was the? Why do you think um, it's important for uh, MLB to be involved in this uh, specific league moving forward?
1: So I I wasn't necessarily involved on the of it. Um, They came to me after they had the idea and and they knew what they wanted to do to ask me to be the president. Um, But if I had to guess, I think that uh, Major League Baseball was looking uh, at the idea of these uh, specific franchises that had lost their affiliations and how could they keep baseball going in those cities. Uh, And so with the idea that they also moved the draft back in there, I think there was an opportunity that was created there to allow the Appy league uh, franchises and the New York pin franchises that chose to, um, to still have baseball and, and be able to put something, their fan base. Very cool. No, I think this is a really
0: great opportunity for a lot of those teams, as you mentioned, that are losing their minor league affiliation, uh, with, uh, major league, you know, with their major league counterparts. Tell us a little bit about yourself and like, how, like how you got involved with baseball,
1: you know, kind of like your baseball story. So, yeah, I mean, I've played, uh, you know, basically since I was probably five or six years old, um, uh, 3 sport athlete in high school, played basketball, football, and baseball, and uh, had some small school opportunities to go play basketball in college, uh, some opportunities to play football in college, uh, but ultimately baseball was, was my love um, and uh, followed that path. And, uh, you know, once I got done playing, Um, you know, kind of jumped right into the coaching aspect of it uh, and and have been in the game uh, ever since then. I think the only job that I've had outside of baseball was I worked as a a male nanny for a family that had two autistic boys. Oh, wow. uh, um, But other other than that, everything's been in in baseball.
0: Awesome. Um, So kind of switching back to the draft league, um, do you guys have like a timetable for start dates for the league? Um, I know that COVID obviously is going to be a heavy – uh, which I'm called a factor into, into, for that. So, you know, what are, what are some of like your guys thinking uh, moving forward, especially with spring kind of hopefully around the corner soon?
1: For sure. Yeah. I think we're looking at starting the end of May, just like all the other summer collegiate leagues. Um, and, and then being able to run it through uh, mid to early August mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, a 68 game schedule Um that uh, you know, get these kids out there and get them an opportunity to to play. Um, some of them will need an opportunity to be evaluated more. Some of them just need to play to stay in rhythm um, because they maybe they've already solidified their draft stock. Uh, but uh, in order to make sure that they're going out into professional baseball ready to do so, um, this is a great opportunity for them to continue to play. Awesome.
0: Is you know, like, are you thinking about like specific COVID protocols for the? for the teams, um, you know, the players, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so we, we're going through those discussions uh, as we speak. Obviously, um, all of that will be uh, dependent upon where we are as a society and, and what is required at that time and what is necessary at that time. Um, you know, with with the, obviously the vaccines coming out that the way that they are, we, we know that there's still going to be some time before everyone has an opportunity to receive those vaccines, but at the same time, I think, Um, hopefully we will see some uh, downturn uh, in the number of cases. And then that will put us in a position where we, we can have a little bit more controllable environments. Awesome. Um, Just a, you know, I wondered, you know, Rawlings
0: has, you know, specific baseballs that they um, produce for minor league baseball. Do you have any deals with them for, you know, for your league, Um, any other affiliations kind of, to kind of help promote the the draft league a little bit.
1: So, no, we're going through that process as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. we use balls um, that are the same balls that will be used when those guys tr- make that transition is, I think, is paramount. Uh, so they get that opportunity to get used to it. You know, in a college, um, at the Division One level, um, most of your colleges are, are using a collegiate form of that lower seam ball. Uh, and so now being able to get that minor league ball in these guys' hands, um, you know, for a month or two months before they go play, I think it will be beneficial to have them do that as well.
0: It's going to be like wood bats also or
1: aluminum? Yes, it okay. will be wood bats.
0: Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, like, how are you um, going about to, like, find the prospects, finding the recruits, finding, the like, the staff, you know, to man these teams and, you know, and also to, like, do the the umpire, the umpiring, umpiring, et cetera?
1: Yeah, so we're basically using the connections that we have with regards to coaches, scouts. Obviously, we're hearing for some agents um, and, and those types of things. Uh, And the the umpires um, reaching out to different organizations that are stationed there in the Northeast to be able to provide um, what we need uh, to have these games officiated properly. Um, So, so yeah, I think we're, you know, kind of using all resources that we have available to us uh, to make sure that we put these kids in the best position to have a great summer it seems like you have like a very tight timeline to do all this stuff. Like, how
0: are you personally, um, going about doing it? I know that you definitely have like a staff. Um, so like what other infrastructure are you building to make <laughs> these tasks like really easy, <laughs> moving forward?
1: Well, you know, I, I think um, it's twofold, obviously with us not announcing the league until basically December, um, you know, it, we kind of um, things have been going a thousand miles an hour to try to fill those rosters. We have six teams and we're going to have 30 man rosters. So sourcing 180 players as well as being ready to source uh, the players after the draft um, to backfill rosters. Um, So we do have uh, some people that are helping us out, um, you know, uh, in the organization to go out and also have those contacts and, and moving forward, you know, next, a little bit easier um because everybody knows the league exists Mm -hmm. um you know sent out we sent out an an email i sent out an email to all the coaches in the country and told them what we were looking for and a lot of their kids were already placed which i understood um so now i think we'll have a jump start on it for next year but this year yeah, it's it's kind of a mad scramble to get these rosters filled out do you have like a timetable
0: for you know have you established a timetable to like start your preparation for next year? I mean, like I know that you're you're doing a hundred different things. You have to sort of think, start to think about next year also.
1: Well, you know what? I've, I think that um, the beauty of this is now that it's out there and it's been rolled out, um, next year started when we announced this year, right? Gotcha. Um, because again, we, there were coaches that uh, didn't know what was going on. Now they know what's going on. They're excited about the idea of of having their kids. The agents that are representing some of these kids are excited about the idea of of having their kids uh, in this league. So um, I think it's a it's a potentially a win win uh, situation where we can, um, as we're going through this year, we'll be prepared for next year as well. Are you guys looking um, to expand
0: the league in other regions? Um, or are you just right now kind of like, let's, let's, build, let's build a great product in one region and then like think about expansion maybe two or three years down the line?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to start uh, with, with the six teams that we have and, and stay there and see how that all unfolds. Um, I think that the six teams is a good number for right now. Mm -hmm. especially with the draft being cut down to 20 rounds, minimally, Um, you know, if they go over that then that's different story, but uh, you know, at a 20 round draft with comp picks and those types of things, you may be talking about 640 players uh, that could go in a given year. Uh, And so, and if we're sourcing 180 um, of those players, uh, I think that's probably a good number uh, of kids that we're providing opportunities to that either may not have been seen, or like I said before, have been seen and just need to continue to play. How do you um, determine how do you de- determine the draft
0: order for the teams?
1: So we have not um, this year. What we're probably going to do is uh, I'm going to just assign the players. Gotcha. Uh, and then what we'll do moving forward is try and adopt some type of uh, draft system where we'll have the pool of players give the the individual uh, organizations um the information. And then that, I think that creates some excitement for the fan base uh, of being able to say, hey, this is what we're doing. You have that draft uh, before the college season starts. So now they know who's on and they get to follow during their college season and, you know, become fans of those kids on Twitter and Instagram and all those kind of things. So I, I think it could be a really good, really good deal for everybody involved. That's awesome. No, I really, I
0: love the grassroots sort of aspect of it, but having. Like a major, you know, having Major League Baseball really pushing this also. So, you yes. know, like how do you keep that grassroots, like feel a little bit to it, but like, ha- but you have like that MLB influence? Like, how do you, you know, deal with those two competing um, forces?
1: Well, I, I think the idea that these kids are still amateurs uh, is a big part of that. Uh, and being able to, you know, when they're going to these uh, cities, having them do community service type stuff, having them do camps and that type of stuff, having fans have that real feel to them um, and then creating that buzz and excitement all throughout the year uh, to where, again, these fan bases know who they're getting. They know where the kids are coming from. They can start to dig a little bit. uh, And so I think that will keep it that, that, level is that you want to have as much fan engagement with the particular cities uh and with the organizations in those cities um that will allow them to feel a part of the process so i think that's what will help us do that how is the how is like the
0: the reception being uh held like um seen in the city like with city officials um you know a lot of these teams i'm sure already have like the infrastructure right like that stadiums, et cetera, and their relationships. So is it – have you found that it's, like, easy to be like, okay, you know, <laughs> minor league baseball might not be here, but, you know, we're here also and we provide X, Y, and Z to the city?
1: Well, you know, I think when you – at minus Trenton and minus Frederick mm-hmm. – um, the other four teams are getting basically a similar product, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Short season A was comprised of college players that just signed in the draft in that year's draft that were going out. So they're getting a very similar product, uh, and now it's just unaffiliated. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. now they're getting these kids, and they get to, again, follow their progression through college. Then they get to watch them in the draft. Then they see who they go to, and now they get to follow those kids when they get in the pro ball and have that feel of, hey – I knew Johnny when he came from the University of Missouri and played for us in, you know, um, in Mahoning Valley. And then he was drafted by the Yankees. And then we saw him go and get his debut years later. And we remember that process. So I think that's where um, the idea of kind of keeping that close-knit um, and, and giving that that feel to it, um, I think, will be beneficial.
0: Um, do you guys have, it, have planned any um, promotions uh, for the league, uh, like – I know people, I'm, I'm a big bobblehead guy. You know, I love getting the stadium giveaways. I know that obviously that depends on if people can go back to the stadium. So right. like, have you thought about, you know, some league promotions that you're
1: going to be doing? So th- that is still, that lays in the the hands of the individual franchises. And so exactly. I think they have that good feel uh, on on what it is they are doing and how they've done it in the past. And I think they'll continue to do those, some of those same things.
0: Awesome. So here's like a very down in the weeds technical question, right? So let's just say a formerly a former MLB affiliate is now in the draft league. Um, I think the Frederick keys are a good example of this. Um, Does that team get to like keep their colors, their logos, um, or are they kind of like free to be like, I don't want to like this orange and black anymore. I want to be like red, white, and blue or whatever. So like how much control do you have over the so, how much control do you have over the teams, and like, what's that relationship?
1: So no, they they're free uh, to kind of you know rebrand their franchise if they choose to. <laughs> I think uh, probably in the short term, many of them will continue to go with what they've had in the past, uh, just because there's familiarity with their fan bases with that. Uh, and then over time, if they choose to slowly transition into being something else. Uh, then they have that option too. But there's no, there's been no restrictions uh, on our end saying you have to keep this or you have to keep that. Um, You know, obviously the, the town and what they are. And, you know, when you look at the, uh, like I said, each individual team's name, I think they'll probably keep those uh, because those weren't proprietary towards the MLB franchises. Mm -hmm. Um, So that will allow those individual uh, organizations to keep their names. And again, like you said, if they don't want to do orange and black and they want to be, you know, purple and gold, well, then they get to change purple and gold.
0: That's cool. I I think that's like a really good way to kind of like refresh, you know, if you, if like these teams kind of like feel that, you know, their brand is kind of like a little bit stale, you know, this could be a good opportunity to be like, let's ditch that, you know, those colors, let's do something a little bit bigger and better and, you know, for sure, sure. Have that autonomy. um What? How? What about like the rules? um You know, just between ma- minor league baseball and major league baseball, there is such a you know, there is a discrepant discrepant uh, you know, a difference of it. Yes. Um, so, how do you kind of? How is the rules going to be? What like? What is the lo- rules going to look like? More of like.
1: I, I think we'll try and find that happy medium specifically this year. Just kind of staying. Uh, conjunction with, um, you know, the college rules that they've have in place. We'll have, uh, you know, the clocks um, and the pitch clocks and those types of things because these kids are coming from college and they have it in college. Mm. Um, And then I think as we start to transition on, um, we will look to adopt more of the minor league rule um, philosophy again because we're preparing them for making that transition. So whatever we can do to get them in that frame of mind to make that transition easier for them, I think we'll want to do in this league. Uh, ultimately, what I want this to be is uh, similar to that of the M- NFL symposium uh, type feel to mm-hmm. where you know we provide some some opportunities for these kids to talk to some former big leaguers, talk to some former um, you know big time draft guys, talk to some guys that weren't high draft guys, talk to some guys that were free agents, talk to guys that, you know, got drafted, signed for a lot of money and blew their money. Um, talked to some guys that didn't sign for a lot of money and manage their money or got guys that signed for a lot of money and manage their money and what, that ha- what happens to them in that process and talked to them about keeping their circle small. And, you know, again, obviously we want them to be able to come out and play, but at the same time we want to be able to create an environment where it's holistic and we give these kids everything they need to have to be prepared to make that transition into professional baseball.
0: That's awesome. I think this is a really, like, you know, really exciting. Um, Is there going to be a universal DH?
1: Yeah, you know what, we, uh, we will probably go and stay with that. Because again, it's, it's in conjunction with what they're doing in college now. Um, And so not to change uh, that aspect of it too much. Um, but again, as time goes on, you know, and we, as we collaborate with minor league baseball, minor league and major league baseball and to see what happens, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, ultimately I, I think that, um, you know, even for the baseball purist, uh, I, I think the DH is coming. Um, I just think it, no, it, it makes a lot of, sense. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I understand from a, from a strategic uh, standpoint of playing the game, um, but I, I think as you as you're getting more kids now, we're we're if we're shrinking the draft down and we're getting more kids that are coming from college than high school, you're 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 getting in potentially a, a kid that comes. You know, let's take a you know a, a Kumar Rocker for example. Kumar Rocker hasn't hit since high school, right? And, mm-hmm. and so the idea of he didn't hit at Vanderbilt, he didn't hit in the summer. He's not going. You know, so the idea that now we're going to transition him into pro ball and potentially a guy that could be the number one pick overall, which means that he's going to have a very rapid ascent to the big leagues. Well, are we wanting Kumar Rocker to be in the lineup and be more strategy for the the manager? Or we want Kumar Rocker because he can get on the mound and go 96 to 99 with a nasty slider and give us seven or eight shutout innings. Um, and so again, I'm a baseball purist myself. Um, but, but I think as you start to look at these kids and you're getting less two-way kids. Uh, you know, when I grew up, everybody was almost a two-way guy. Um, and now you're getting less two-way kids, and they don't do it in college. And, um, and so, you know, let's factor that into vision. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's two sides. So I think you could see that on the offensive side, hey, you're creating more offense. But then on the other side of it, uh, you're asking the pitcher to grind one more batter. You know, there, there's not that free out in the lineup for the pitcher. Um, mm-hmm. So now, how does that affect the pitcher's ability to go out and and go through the order three times? on uh, National League lineup, he's going through the order three times. But so that's 24 um, batters that you're worried about facing uh, as opposed to that batter and that, you know. Uh, so I think there's some, some pros and cons to both sides, uh, but we'll see what happens. I'm more of a baseball
0: purist. I, I think that D, the DH should not be – um in and, and uh, i i like the fact that like a pitcher can get up there and like has to you know could be used to bunt a player over <laughs> or sure. like i guess like i guess i always remember i remember seeing max scherzer with like the broken nose with the when he's yeah. like i don't know it just like it gives you know the, I'm, as i said that's a different conversation for a whole <laughs> other podcast <laughs> for sure <laughs> well no. um Yeah, so, like, what, what for you personally, like, what is it like kind of embarking on this uh, quick journey? Um, But also, like, you know, it seems that you're really passionate about baseball. So, like, just give maybe, like, a little bit more of, like, a personal feel to it.
1: Yeah, you know what? Uh, I've always been a player advocate, right? And and I've always been um, through all my different journeys throughout this game. um, When you talk about being a coach – Um, being a scout for the nationals, being an agent with the Boers corporation. uh, I've always been that person where I was always player centered. Uh, And so what this is, is this is a challenge to create another opportunity for players to maximize uh, their experience in this game. Uh, And so for me, that's how I'm looking at it is I want this to be player centered. I want to make sure that we're doing everything to provide these kids with the ultimate opportunity um, as they're going on and, and, stepping into their professional careers. And so whatever type of uh, little bit we can add to be assisted to them and being successful, then I want to make sure that that we look at that and we create those opportunities for them. Awesome. So, well,
0: to, you know, talk to us a little bit about, or talk to me a little bit about being a scout for the nationals. I mean, I mean, and you're, and you're a Boris and I don't know if you saw the news, but uh, Josh Bell just got traded to the nationals. Um, okay. <laughs> So you know, to tell us about your experience of like being that scout um, on the nationals on the for the nationals.
1: Yeah, you know what, it was it was a great experience. You know, I, in in my coaching career, um, obviously around scouts, and and I'd always been approached by scouts about saying, "Hey, you need to come over and start scouting. You'd be a great scout." And, and I was always as a coach. I was like, ah, "I'm good. You know, I'm I'm in a good spot. I, I enjoy what I'm doing." And and um, I was coaching in actually in Louisiana uh, at at nickel state uh, and I moved back home and I had to be close to home for family reasons and there weren't any college jobs um, that were available. And so that's when I kind of reached out to the scouting community and said, Hey, I'm ready, but I got to stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was very, very fortunate uh, that the, when I was ready to get in that I had multiple opportunities to do so. Uh, and Dana Brown, who was the scouting director with the nationals at the time, um you know they you guys uh we the nationals used to have what they called a um'm uh, trying to think it was a diversity uh internship mm-hmm. um and so i I went and I was part of that, and we spent two weeks in instructs and kind of scouted and evaluated players and was on the player development side and did some different things. And so they had a job open in the Midwest and and offered it to me. Um, and I really enjoyed it uh, because, again, like I told you, I'm a player advocate. So my mindset um, as, a, as a scout and a coach was always everybody's a player uh, until they do something that shows me that they're not. So mm-hmm. when I walked into a game, you know, I may be going in to see um, – You know, a a Max Scherzer or Aaron Crow or Kyle Gibson or some that. Uh, But I'm looking at everybody, and then as practice goes on, or pregame, or the game goes on, then you're easily able to cross some dudes off. Say, okay, he's not a pro guy. He's not a pro guy. He's not a pro Mm. guy. Um, And so that was the part that I enjoyed about it was going out, giving these kids opportunities uh, to do some different things, and and seeing where it took them. Um, What was like the biggest, um, like
0: the the biggest like player that you were like really excited about you're like okay i'm gonna advocate for you know player x and then you know he gets to the big leagues and like he's you're like oh my god what did i i mean you don't have to give me an answer but like i'm sure that's happened right like you miss a on a couple of them
1: well so i think you talk about uh one of the biggest ones was um aaron crow hmm. uh, so that was my first year uh, as a scout, and it was, it was full circle because I had coached Aaron Crow when he was in high school in the summers, and then I had an opportunity to be uh, on the coaching staff in the Cape that previous summer in 2007 when Aaron Crow was on that staff. The fact that it came full circle to where we picked him that year ninth. Um, and I was really excited because, you know, shoot, first year in the draft, you get a first rounder. Uh, and then, you know, we had the discrepancies between uh, what Jim Bowden wanted and what his agency wanted. And he ends up not signing uh, and, and going back into the draft that next year. So that, that was um, that was a that was a that was a tough one to take uh, because mm-hmm. I was you know, it, you couldn't have written a better script. Um, yeah. for me as the first year scout knowing somebody that i had known since he was 14 years old and um, and everything worked out would have worked out great but it didn't so um, so that was pr- that's probably the the one where um you know it's like man um, that would have fooled my first year the guy that would have made it to the big leagues so
0: yeah i mean you kind of like grow attachments right like positive and negative to these players um i know like as a fan um it's definitely I, I have like a strict policy i don't buy any uh fan uh players jerseys or whatever with their numbers until like they're like a lifetime national because i don't i, guess, I, I can't I, I would i i cry i would be upset <laughs> <laughs> um so kind of like bringing a little bit about um to the league like what are you like where do you envision this league kind of growing uh moving you know in you know year. Four or five, you know, ten, whatever. Like, what do you kind of
1: see the league in ten years? So yeah, like I said, I, I think the biggest is is that we have a, a truly holistic environment um, that is not just about them playing. Uh, it's really about them getting indoctrinated into what professional baseball is going to be like, that we have, um, you know, potentially coaches on staff that are uh, guys that have had experience at that level. Um, And, and so now they're, they're talking to more about the mental aspect of things than solely the physical aspect of things uh, and just getting their mind right. And that this becomes a conduit to that experience that they're getting here with us in the summer prior to signing, becomes really crucial to their success as they move forward because maybe we're able to knock off some of the things, some of the anxieties and some of the hesitancies, hesitancies that they may have um, and create and eliminate some of the unknowns um, that puts them in a better position to walk in and feel really, really comfortable um, when they step on the field and step into that organization. Um, You know, I mean, just simple things that we're playing in, obviously, minor league stadiums, all these clubs were affiliated. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're going to know what that feel is like and being in the clubhouse and the early work aspect of it and all those types of things uh, that we create for them to be able to go out and be successful.
0: Awesome. Great. So I do something called lightning round. I ask um, about five questions and uh, one word answers or try to as short as possible. Okay. Ready. Favorite baseball movie?
1: 42.
0: Okay. Favorite baseball team? Cardinals. Favorite baseball stadium? Bush Stadium. Wrigley or Fenway? Fenway. Uh, Favorite current player to watch? Oh, man. I didn't tell you that I didn't say that these are going to be easy questions.
1: No, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> man, that's a good one. Um, I'd probably have to say it's Devin Williams because I have a personal relationship. Okay. That's cool. Uh, I recruited him to Missouri and and I've known him since he was 14 years old.
0: Awesome. Well. That's all for today, but, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people kind of like get more information, follow you, you know, like what are your social handles, you know, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, you can, when you talk about the league, for sure, you can go to, um, MLB draft and that has, uh, you know, that's our website and the information about the players. And as the season gets going, uh, you'll be able to, um, to, to follow that and the progress of the league. Uh, my Twitter is I'm that dad at KJ. Um, and, uh, and so I don't necessarily do a lot of stuff on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Just a little bit here. I'm, I'm probably not the most interesting person on Twitter to follow. Uh, so <laughs> I, every once in a while I'll throw something out there, but, um, but yeah, uh, when you talk about the league, I think that's the place to go is that um, MLB.com.
0: Awesome. And we'll be definitely following uh, the draft league really close. Um, I'm hoping to get to some games in the, in the spring um, and the, you know, in the summer league, minor league, and now also have to add draft league to my to-do list, but thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Hey, thank you. Let me know when you make it out there.
0: Okay, great. Thanks so much. Have a good day all right you too and this will do it for this episode of in the clubhouse if you like this episode please make sure to like review and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting and you can follow us on all the major social media channels at the nats report